Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortalinas podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and I'm here today with an incredibly special guest and a massive inspiration and role model to me, the man who created the Portugal website, which is really the mecca of English language uh, Portuguese football content. If there's no Portugal, uh, there's no Cortalinhas. I cannot overestimate just how much of an influence he's been. Um, and we've got him here today to discuss what has been a pretty crazy week in Portuguese football, uh, Tom Cunder. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm great, Zach. Wow, that's <laughs> quite an intro. Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Uh, you know, very pleased to be uh, speaking to you. So, like you say, a momentous week. A momentous week indeed, right? Since our last episode uh, with another Tom, <laughs> Tomás da Cunha, we've seen a lot of action in Portuguese football. Famalicão beating Santa Clara on Friday. Massive win that will certainly see them stay up. Uh, Boa Vista drawing to Tondela and goals uh, between two breakout stars, uh, Albert Ellis and Mario Gonzalez, uh, to see them split the points. Paso Chivajeda and Gil Vicente drawing as well. A 1-1. Moreirense taking a 2-1 victory over Portimonense as well. The late goal from Gonzalo Franco. Porto on Monday just pretty much destroying uh, Farence following Bilel Oacheria's uh, red card. And on Tuesday, we saw quite a lot of action. Uh, Belenense defeating Tondela. Uh, Santa Clara beating Kiwav to, to stay in the fight uh, for the final European uh, Conference League spot and worsening Kiwav's chances of staying up. Benfica also beating Nacional and uh, confirming Nacional's relegation to the second division. So first team and only team so far to be relegated Nacional. I think that's it. I'm, I'm not sure. I think I don't think I'm missing anything, Tom. No, no, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, the uh, <laughs> very, very busy few days. Yeah, I think I may have forgotten one little detail. Sporting beating Guavista oh, Beat at the Estadio Jose Alvalade. Just, you know, a routine win for Sporting. You know, just, just the 17 shots and 62% possession. And, you know, don't think it really confirmed anything. Except for, drumroll, the Leoish's first title in 19 years. Yeah, yeah. Today, I am speaking to two guests. I'm speaking to Tom Cundert, the incredible Portuguese football journalist, and Tom Cundert, the sporting fan. I don't think many people who follow you know that you're a sporting fan just because you're so unbiased and so balanced in your coverage. But... This is a pretty crazy day for you. Let's let's just talk about the past 24 hours. Run me through what what this has been like for you past 24 hours. Oh, yeah. Absolutely amazing, yeah. So I think I'll probably speak on this podcast a little bit more as a sporting fan rather than a journalist uh, because it really just is an amazing feeling for sporting fans. 19 years. That's a long time, isn't it, Zach? 19 years is the last time that sporting got to celebrate being champions of Portugal. And, uh, you know, it's been a pretty rough time in most of those years as well. They haven't really been that close that often. And, of course, what makes this all the more remarkable is they just really, the club seem to be 
in free fall last two or three seasons, uh, you know, ever since the tumultuous end of the Bruno de Carvalho reign and uh, the attack at Alcochet. And then last season was an absolute car crash of a season. Went through four coaches, uh, you know, just about every player that was bought in the previous summer turned into a flop, uh, ended up fourth, 22 points behind the winners, uh, Porto. So that kind of just shows you that absolutely nobody saw this coming. Nobody, not even the most optimistic sporting fan, I don't think would have dreamed of, you know, winning the title, being unbeaten after 32 games and winning the title with two games to spare. It's just absolutely incredible. So, you know, a lot of nerves about still yesterday, although, you know, Sporting only needed two points from the last three games, but just because of really that backdrop and such a long wait uh, for for this uh, championship title, there were a few nerves, but, uh, you know, Sporting really, ever since the Braga game, I think that was the key game, they've really started playing well again. They haven't scored that many goals, but they've really dominated every match since then. And yesterday was a, an absolute domination. They that they played really well. They should have really have won that, you know, the game very comfortably by three, four, five goals. They created chance after chance. But, uh, you know, they don't, uh, sporting fans don't really mind about that. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it was some party last night. Uh, I can tell you I'm a little bit sleep deprived. So uh, you might have to uh, excuse some of my uh, wayward answers maybe, to, maybe today. But yeah, amazing, amazing night in Lisbon and amazing night for all sporting fans, I'm sure, uh, you know, all over Portugal and all over the world. Uh, you know, it's been a long wait. What was it like just being inside the stadium and watching your team and this nearly two-decade title drought? Oh, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, I do sometimes have to pinch myself and I do realise that I am, uh, you know, very lucky to, to be in this position, especially with the, with the pandemic. And, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that sporting after such a, a long wait, you know, their fans have gone through so much and finally they're champions and, and the fans couldn't really get to see it. Uh, but yeah, outside the state, I mean, yesterday was, a, was amazing because, uh, you know, huge crowds had, uh, had congregated before the game, as they have done in the, in the last few games, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, give the, show the team their support. And, uh, you know, the party really started well before the match yesterday. And then all throughout the match, you know, you could hear the noise. You could, you could hear the crowd chanting on the outside of the stadium. And uh, you could hear firecrackers going off. You could hear fireworks going off. And then when the final whistle finally went and Sporting won, you know, just kind of the whole city or the whole, I suppose, green half of of, sit, of uh, the city of Lisbon just kind of exploded. And all around the stadium, you know, I think people kind of forgot that there was a pandemic on and the pandemic or no pandemic it was it was time to celebrate and so being in the stadium it was really quite an amazing atmosphere even though you're in in a stadium which was pretty much empty just from a I don't know 50 or so journalists in there and then you know obviously the the two team delegations but uh there was a hell of a lot of noise because all around the stadium, you know, huge crowds chanting. Then the, the cars came out at the end. You could just hear car horns going, fireworks going off, firecrackers going off, the fans chanting, you know, campeões, campeões, and all the other chants. And the players just going absolutely wild as well on the pitch. I always think it's quite strange, you know, players, because you, you kind of think they do that for the fans, don't they, and to share it with the fans. But you could see how much it meant, how much to it meant to the players because they were just, you know, absolutely 
dancing for joy and really emotional. You could you could tell on the pitch. You you got to remember almost none of those players. I think I don't know, maybe none, or maybe just one or two. Maybe uh, Antonio Andan, uh, Adan at uh, Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid, kind of playing a, a secondary role. But none of those players had experience being national champions before. I, I want to correct you there. So Adan, yes, Adan, I, I believe he got a an a trophy when when playing as uh, Casillas's backup. Okay, but. Uh, you're missing out on one player who played a big part. Ah, Kowatz, of course, Sebastian Kowatz. Oh, no, no, not not Kowatz. Uh, it's he Kowatz. I believe this is Kowatz's first league title. Uh, uh, okay, okay. You're missing. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty darn. Who sure. is it then? Who is it then? You're Let me think. Out. It's, it's, <laughs> you're, to think. It's not the usual suspect. It's not the usual suspect. Oh, who can that be? Been uh, a decent amount of time, but uh, Antunes never won it, did he? Uh, uh, oh, Joao Pereira, did he ever? <laughs> Joao, Joao Pereira, yeah. Joao Pereira is, <laughs> so good old Joao Pereira, good old player who's one year older, a little more than older than than his coach. <laughs> Joao Pereira, I believe, is the only sporting player who's actually played a leading role in a team's, I believe it was Benfica 2005. Right, yeah, good shout, good shout, yeah. <laughs> and then there was, you know, there was Antonio Adan who won it as as a backup. So really, I believe the only player in the sporting team who had, you know, won a league title when, like before this season, when playing as, you know, a key player was, was João Pereira in that team. I don't think that any other player, maybe a player like Bruno Tabata won it in Brazil's, you know, regional leagues, but I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure that Joao Pereira, I'm pretty confident that, you know, maybe Gonzalo Plata in Ecuador, but I'm pretty sure that Joao Pereira is the only player alongside Adan who, who has won it, who has won it so far. So it really just tells you, you know, all you need to know. I mean, of course, Joao Mario is the European champion, but you know, this team was really lacking winners. I mean, of course, there was Huben Amorim, who had won decent amount while pl- playing more more a backup role, you know, at Benfica. But, you know, apart from that trophy, apart from the Tasa at Braga last season, hadn't won anything in his coaching career either. So I really can't stress this enough. Nobody saw this coming, okay? Absolutely nobody saw this coming. Because frankly... You know, just looking back over the past few years, right? Okay, so, of course, yeah, Sporting, you know, they had a some, you know, a promising season under under George Jesus, I think, five years ago, where they nearly won the title, came close, but but lost out to a Huy Victoria's Benfica, you know, had a decent transfer window, uh, bringing in players such as Bruno Fernandes, uh, Marco Sucuna, Wendell, but really the past few years, I think I've seen Sporting obviously losing uh, players from the, the exodus, shall we say. You know, Jelson Martins, uh, William Carvajal, Hui Patricio, so on from the, you know, of course, from the, the, the training ground invasion and kind of the exodus uh, that followed. And really not being able to, to replace not being able to keep pace, shall we say, with Porto and Benfica. Just going back to the summer of 2018, you know, apart from Hafinha, who only stayed for one season before going to Rennes, really not many great signings. You know, Abdoulaye Diaby, 
Bruno Gaspar, uh, Idrissa Dumbia. You know, some some players that just kind of bring disgust to your face, I bet, uh, Tom. Looking back to, you know, the, the next one, you know, losing Bastos, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Hafinha, and bringing in some other players who were you know, have been pretty mediocre. Luciano Vieto, Andras Borar, Valentin Roger, uh, Rafael Camacho from Liverpool, okay? And now going back to last summer, obviously it's it's completely different now, the, the reaction, but back during last summer, you know, you saw Benfica spending a ton of money and bringing in a lot of exciting players such as Darwin Nunes and Luca Waldschmidt. Porto as well, reinforcing their team, right, with, you know, Meritaremi, Tony Martinez. So a lot of excitement for those teams. Uh, on the other hand, Sporting, not so much, you know, losing... Wendell and Marcos Acuna, and of course, Mateus Pereira to West Brom after his press of loan, uh, and bringing in Pedro Gonçalves, who was a rising star at Famalicao, right? Wasn't anywhere near compared to what he's been this season, but, you know, some excitement. Bringing in Nuno Santos from Hio Av as part of that swap deal with Jelson Dalla and, and Francisco Gerald's going the other way uh, to Hio Av. Zuhair Fedal coming in from Real Betis. But for the most part, some really petty-pinching moves. You know, Sporting were definitely hit by the pandemic. And, you know, a lot of these were free transfers, such as Mateus Rice, Antonio Dan, Vittorio, Vittorino Antunes. I remember the Antunes deal caused so much ire in the sporting community. You remember that, Tom? Just people yeah. like, why are they bringing in this guy who's barely played in the past two years, you know? Uh, bringing in Bruno Tabata for next to nothing from Portimonense. And, of course, getting Pedro Porro and João Mario on loan. So, in general, literally no sporting fan saw this coming. Looking at the first few months before the, the end of 2019-20 season, I, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of sporting fans saw the value in Hupen Amorim uh, in trying to change things up with a new system and playing a lot of youngsters such as Eduardo Quaresma and Jovan Cabral and so on. But I also think that most of them, or a decent amount, were like, uh, why did we pay 10 million euros for for this guy who has barely coached at the professional level? And now it, it just tells you how much football can change, right? Talk Absolutely. to me about what, what's been your process as a sporting fan with Hupen Amori. Yeah, well, that, that was a really good uh, roundup there, Zach, because you, you just <laughs> no, you, you just said it because uh, like expectations were just non-existent. It, it seemed like any quality, any player at Sporting who showed quality in the last few years right. got sold almost as soon as they had the chance. You know, you just mentioned there, Baz Dos, you know, Rafinha, Bruno Fernandes, uh, and then even last summer we had... Acuna uh, and Wendell. Yeah, Acuna and Wendell, of course. Yeah, it's a, my lack of sleep uh, catching up on me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so it just seemed like, you know, as soon as it seemed like sporting, we're really starting from rock bottom. And I think when people, when Amarin came on and uh, came to sporting, of course, we have to remember, as well as that huge fee, which immediately lots of sporting fans and lots of people in general really in Portugal thought that was a, a huge gamble at best and really just a, a bit of folly at worst and a bit of, you know, just kind of waste, a waste of money. You know, it made him the third highest coach transfer I think in in football history or something so people were just thinking you know what uh what is the president you know what, what was he thinking of spending all this money but I suppose the the most optimistic people said okay 
you know, this is really starting from scratch. Maybe sporting are going to slowly but surely try and build and try and go a little bit more back to their academy, which of course is the kind of the, the pride and joy of the club, even for, even through all these years of such a a drought in terms of titles. They have produced fantastic players and it really is something which sporting fans are proud of. So they thought, okay, maybe, you know, this is really the start of something, but this is going to take a long time. If you base your whole kind of philosophy on how you're going to build up the club, on young players that's obviously going to take time before it bears fruit and so uh, it was again just another reason why this was such a, a huge surprise and all those players you mentioned who were brought in you know, Fidel uh, Nuno Santos uh, and uh, Adan you know they're not players who really you know get the get the the pulse racing are they they're not really players who uh, get fans excited even the the record uh, players from loan, you know, João Polina and uh, and João Mario, you know, these were good players. These were popular players as well. So sporting fans were happy to see them back. But, uh, you know, Polina especially, he's just been an absolute revelation. And like I said before, all in complete contrast to last season where almost every signing was a complete disaster or, you know, the majority of them. This season, almost every signing uh, made in the summer transfer window has actually come up trumps. You know, everyone, you could say, everyone's played their part. You know, Adan has been superb as a goalkeeper. You know, Fedal, I've never even heard of him, to be honest. I know, <laughs> I know you must have, Zach, because there's not a player in the world you haven't heard of. But uh, I, I hadn't even heard of him, but he's been excellent. You know, he's been, he's really won over the sporting fans. He's been superb all season. And then you had even the old veterans, you know, Luis Neto, uh, he played a lot especially at the start of the season. He's done well. And even the uh, the old man you mentioned a while ago, you know, Joao Pereira, he's only had to come in once or twice. But for instance, yesterday, he had to come on when uh, Porro got injured. And, uh, you know, he looks great. It's amazing to think he's 37 years old. He didn't put a foot wrong. So, uh, oh, Joao Encontrao. Uh, what a what a throwback. The, yeah. Right, seeing them yeah, yeah. going up against yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah. So this is just really, it's all come together. It's just gelled beautifully, this team. And of course, uh, now, rather than thinking, you know, this is Sporting, are going to have to really claw themselves back. It's going to take years to get back up to Benfica and Sporting, you know, to be able to be competitive with them, suddenly we're there already. Sporting seem to be at that level. And excitingly, you know, a lot of the players are young players who, uh, you know, in principle, I'm always a bit wary of people kind of thinking, you know, if they're, if they're that good at this age, you know, think how good they're going to become because it doesn't always work that way. You know, sometimes players don't progress exactly how you expect them to, but the likes of Nuno Menz and Gonzalo Inácio and Braganza and Cabral and Thiago Tomás and Gonçalves and Pedro Porro, you know, it's such a, so many young players there who are really uh, got so much upside. And I suppose the biggest problem for sporting, first of all, is going to see if they can hold on to all of these players uh, this summer. But, you know, if they do, or if they maybe just lose one, uh, you know, that it, it bodes well for perhaps this not being a flash in the pan and perhaps, you know, sporting under our marine can really become competitive on a, you know, a more regular basis. Absolutely. That's what I want to talk about now. I mean, they're going to get a decent amount of money, you know, from winning the league, from from getting into the Champions League, right? For the first time, I believe, what, four years? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that definitely goes, goes well. But with the pandemic, you can't help but think one player is going to leave. Personally, 
I, what I think will happen with Sporting, I think they sell Nuno Mensch for a ton of money. Uh, his, his value is skyrocketing. And, you know, maybe it would make sense for him to stay another season prior to the World Cup. But I think what happens is they sell Mensch for a ton of money. I think they bring in Pedro Porro on a permanent deal. I believe they have an option to buy on him, I think, in around the region of 8.5 million euros. Um, but anyways, I think they, they bring in Porro and João Mario on, on permanent deals, seal those up, make sure they're staying that with them uh, for the season to come, and keeping hold of you know other guys like uh, Pedro Gonçalves and João Paulinha. Uh, we'll see what happens. Obviously, and, and, you know there are some offers that are too good to resist if you're sporting. But personally, I think what happens is they keep hold of all of their starters apart from Nuno Mendes. And I think that they also get uh, Pedro Porro and, and Joao Mario on permanent deals. So I want to get your take on that. But just before I finish up, I do think, you know, Sporting have had so many great players over the years, so many players that, you know, attract the attention of pretty much every single European giant. But honestly, if there's any person that Sporting need to keep a hold of, it's Juven Amorim. Honestly, I mean, you know, Nuno Mensch or, or Dropolinia obviously would be massive losses, but neither would be as big of a loss as Hupenamori. Because what he has done at the Estadio Jose Avalad is nothing short of a miracle. It's just absolutely incredible what he's done. So, you know, sporting, they aren't on the same level financially as a Bayern, as a Barcelona, as a Juventus. So they're going to continue to lose these players. But guess what? As long as they have Ruben Amorim in charge, I think that they're going to continue to show why they are on you know, the forefront at, in Portuguese football. And things are looking a bit uncertain with Sergio Conceição at Porto, still hasn't renewed his contract. George Jesus, a lot of questions from his first season. I think he stays you know, this summer, but results don't pick up. I don't know if, if he remains. On the other hand, I think that there's a lot of trust in Amorim. And I think that you know, even if they do fall off next season, I think that this this season has definitely bided him a lot of time, and it should. I think it should definitely give Sporting incentive to have a project. I mean, we've seen just how much success something that with consistency, a long term project, shall we say, can provide for a club like Benfica, like Porto. You know, with Conceição and and Rui Vitoria and, and Jorge Jesus in, in recent years, and I just think that Sporting need to emulate that. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. It happens with Yeah, I agree. It was interesting yesterday. Amarine was asked, you know, straightforwardly, uh, you know, if he was thinking of leaving Sporting, you know, if he got a big offer, would he leave? And he said, you know, straight up, he said straight away, no, I'm staying here. I'm very happy here. And uh, but he, I think, he's also realistic. You know, even yesterday, this was in the press conference at the end of the of the game where they just won the league. You know, everyone was in euphoria he still managed to uh you know exude this kind of uh, calm which uh, has kind of personified his well characterized his whole demeanor this season you know despite uh getting closer and closer to this incredible achievement and then pulling it off he's always remained really calm and i think that's been really important for the players and for the squads as well and uh and he said i know how football works so i'm kind of uh, you know being uh, receiving a lot of praise at the moment, but at the start of next season, you know, if things go badly awry in the Champions League, if things go, you know, if I start losing matches in the league, uh, then, you know, lots of people 
will be calling for my head. He knows that he's just at the start of his trajectory and has a lot of work still to do at sporting. I absolutely agree with you. You know, that's it's I find it interesting sometimes. I mean, that transfer fee for Ruben Amarine, 10 million, which took everyone by surprise and drew in lots of criticism. And, you know, even I was surprised at that. But I've, I've often said this. I remember speaking to Sean Gill and we had this exchange of conversation quite often. And so you can't really understand in some ways why coaches aren't transferred for these sort of prices and players are. Because if you think about it, the coach, a successful coach, he increases the value of all the players. You know, these players, Nuno Mendes, uh, how much was he worth this time last year? You know, I don't know. Uh, Sporting would have been probably amazed if anyone offered, you know, five, 10 million for him. How much is he worth now? Probably five times that. You know, and you can just go on and on with all these players, you know, Gonzalo uh, Inacio, another one, you know, virtually a first teamer in a championship winning team now. You know, Cabral just looks brilliant. Uh, Jovan, whenever he comes on. You know, even Thiago Tomás, who's, who's got his limitations, but, you know, this is a 18-year-old kid who's, who, who, you know, played his part. All of these players, and, you know, not to mention uh, Pedro Gonçalves and uh, and Pedro Porro, who have been absolutely fantastic. All of these players, their their value uh, must have increased. I know this is your area, Morzak, but I don't know, would must have increased, what, three, four, five told, maybe, just in one season? And that's down to Ruben Amarine. When he did sign his new improved contract, it was exactly one year after he signed his initial contract, Contract. I think it's in March, February, March time. And uh, it was actually the, the buyout uh, clause of Ruben Amarine himself was, uh, it was put at 30 million euros. So, you know, that's straight away a little bit of a, uh, I suppose you can say a little bit of security for for sporting, maybe a bit further down the line, because I really honestly don't think Amarine is you know, is interested in moving, uh, you know, at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, you know, this is definitely without without a doubt, I think, for Sporting to build on this, they really need to continue what has been one of the keys of this season. And that's just to be stable, you know, to be a stable club in terms of their boardroom, in terms of their president, in terms of their coach, in terms of the playing staff. I agree also with your assessment of possible incomings and outgoings this season. I, I think Nuno Mendes has been mentioned a lot just because, he really is a you know a shining star and very obviously a player who is good enough to, I think to play in just about any team in the world and uh, of course with the with the Euros coming up it'd be interesting to see if he if he gets uh, you know much playing time in that because that will even further increase his value if he, if he hasn't been sold in the meantime so he could be the one uh, which is sold because uh, again this this is the model which Sporting are going to have to probably all Portuguese clubs but Sporting are going to have to kind of uh, used to try and build themselves up again and make themselves competitive hopefully in Europe as well as as well as at home is you know every year that uh, they can't compete with the the biggest clubs in terms of wages and they can't turn down these massive transfer fees so probably every year they will sell one maybe one two but that's okay one or two players that's not too bad because again if this is if sporting are going to base their whole club on their youth academy then you actually need players you know you need a bit of a throughput don't you because if you if you just keep your same team then that's going to block the younger players coming through so they need to do that just uh, you know maybe bring up one or two of the their best players, uh, get a huge transfer fee, hopefully, every season or every other season for, uh, you know, one or two players, uh, create spaces for the new youth players to come in. Uh, I think that's that's certainly the plan for the next few seasons. 
Yeah, so they did pay $10 million initially for him, making him the third most expensive manager uh, of all time bef- behind Andre Villas-Boas and uh, Brendan Rodgers. But certain you know fees, VAT, and, and taxes and whatnot and other fines uh, saw that figure rise to 14.4 million euros, making him the second most expensive manager after Villas-Boas. Uh, obviously, that has since been dwarfed uh, by Bayern's capture of Julian Nagelsmann last month. But obviously, this is money well spent, I think, from a sporting perspective. And apart from being a great coach and, and being some coach, being a coach that, you know, trusts in his youth, I also think that Amarim's just a great person. You know, he's, you can clearly see how much more humble he is than a Conceição or, or a George Jesus. I mean, I mean, there's really no competition. I mean, you see so many coaches like those two complaining about referee decisions or, you know, taking unnecessary shots. Amorim, on the other hand, definitely more modern, you know, obviously he's a bit younger than those two. And he's always a coach who, who is going to, you know, deflect credit and take accountability at the same time. We saw that a few months ago when Paulo Futur, you know, said uh, Sporting are pretty much going to win the title, and Amorim denied it. And he said, if we had a Paulo Futur in, my, in our team, then yeah, we would, we would be. But, you know, I, I think that in general, apart from being, you know, a great coach, he's also just a really well-spoken guy and who I think that George Jesus and Sergio Conceição could learn a lot from. So, you know. Yeah, sacked. Sorry, just to interrupt you, but you're, you're right. Because he, I think that's one of his secrets, definitely, is he likes to share the plaudits. You know, he's not one of these coaches who kind of, you know, wants the spotlight on him. And, uh, you know, in in contrast to certain other coaches, I think, hello, George Jesus. But uh, an example of this even was yesterday, you know, in that same press conference I was talking about when he went into the press room. It was different from the normal press conference because he insisted that his whole coaching staff were with him. And so you had uh, eight chairs, I think eight or nine chairs, uh, you know, uh, in a row all the way across the you know the desk and flanking the two sides. So you had Ruben Amarim in the middle and he had, uh, you know, all his coaching staff three or four on one side, three or four on the other side. And he said, you know, this is important for me to do this because it's a kind of, you know, visible uh, demonstration of uh, the fact that this isn't, you know, one person's work. This is the work of a whole team, a whole coaching team. And, so, you know, they deserve as much praise as I do. So, so yeah, you're right. Of course, the only thing I'd say on, on uh, you know, the other side is it, we have to remember it, it is easy or it's easier. <laughs> it's much easier to be kind of magnanimous and humble and, you know, polite and say all the right things when you're winning. Uh, not quite so easy when you're losing. So, uh, but yeah, you know, let's see. Uh, so far, without a doubt, he he hasn't put a foot wrong at all. And uh, yeah, I think his communication skills in general uh, have been yeah absolutely brilliant, spot on from start to finish. It also feels like this has not been an easy route for Amorim. After retiring, he took a postgrad course in psychology 
then started working as a manager uh, with third division Casapia. The team was deducted six points and Amorim was suspended after giving instructions during match without having the required coaching level do so. And, you know, even though that ban was suspended, he, he resigned shortly after Amorim then decided to go to Benfica as the U23 coach and then rejecting that after a meeting, then going to Braga and, you know, then going to sporting and the rest is history. But it does seem like there's been... I don't know if I should say a witch hunt, but he has been under a lot of uh, scrutiny from the Portuguese football governing body because of that lack of experience. And, you know, he's gotten suspended and had to miss a few games because of this. It was funny. uh, Yesterday, we saw the sporting players invade his press conference and say, Amorim castigado por ser campeão. Amorim punished for being a champion. Can you just run down a little bit about that, you know, Amorim's how should we say this, running from the law, his, his run-ins with the Portuguese uh, football governing bodies scrutiny. Do you think it's been fair? Uh, what do you think of what do you think of it? Well, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I don't really buy very much this theory that it's, it's a witch hunt or that particularly after him. I just think the Portuguese football authorities, the disciplinary committees and the whole system is just completely broken. It's just ridiculous. You know, lots of the decisions. I think one of the worst things we see this happen time and again is some player or some coach does something wrong uh, or, you know, says something out of line. So they are disciplined. Okay, fair enough. And then what happens, Zach? It all goes through, uh, it gets delayed. It all goes through, I don't know how many committees, how many appeals. And the actual punishment gets handed down uh, sometimes seven, eight match, so eight months in advance, you know, it, almost a year in advance. And of course, if that happens to fall just a week before uh, a classical or the week before, uh, you know, an important game, then that just triggers all these uh, conspiracy theories of, uh, you know, this has been done on purpose. This is another example of why the disciplinary committee is favouring sporting or favouring Benfica or favouring Porter, you know, it really is a big problem in Portugal, the whole system of disciplining players or enforcing uh, punishments is is a bit of a joke, really, and that needs to be overhauled. As they say here, if it's not really, you know, a disciplinary system which works properly and swiftly, it's not really a disciplinary system at all. And, it, you know, the players aren't even... Uh, incentive, you know, incentivize the players or the coaches, you know, to behave properly because there's also kind of ways that they can get round these uh, suspensions. So, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't actually say that particularly. I, for one, don't. I know s- certain sporting fans do think this that he has been that sporting are, are being targeted, but I, I, for one, don't believe that. I just think it's a question of incompetence, really. Uh, unfortunately, the. You know, it's, it's incredible. Portuguese football has got so many incredible players, incredible talents, incredible coaches. When you look at the size of the country and the population, they just completely, you know, punch above their weight. And just one of them, the most amazing football talent production countries in the whole world. Per capita, you could argue, you know, I don't know, it must be very near the top. And yet it's uh, football authorities and especially when it comes down to the administration of the domestic game, is really just, uh, I think, still very amateurist or, you know, has a lot of problems, which uh, just makes you think in one way how how much better football in Portugal could be if, you know, if they sorted it out properly. 
Absolutely. I think that that's is so spot on. You really hit the nail on the head. Portuguese football's governing of the parties really so broken, really needs a massive overhaul. Just the other day, we saw uh, Vitoria de Guimarães finally getting punished for the racist abuse that Musa Marega suffered in last season. Uh, Vitoria having to go with three home games to be played behind closed doors, which is pretty ridiculous given the fact that <laughs> I mean, fans aren't even in the stadium. I know that I saw something that right, I think fans are going to be available. Are, there's there's 10% capacity now for the final two games, which, you know, I'm not sure if that really makes sense, given fact there's still a lot to play for. Personally, I think that they should just wait until next season for that to happen. But in general, yeah, I mean, Portuguese football's authority is really just so... They, they they definitely harm the quality of the league, I think. And, you know, good for Amorim. Good for Amorim for dealing with it and showing them where they can put their their punishment, shall we say. Um, you know, one, one player who we've touched up a little bit and who has gone through some, you know, been, been, a, been pretty great, had a decline in form um, around April, March, but has really been superb in Sporting's last few games, and that is Joao Palinha. Palinha had spent the past two seasons on loan at Braga, uh, looked like he was going to leave with, you know, Wolves and I think Spartak Moscow uh, interested in him, but ended up staying, and uh, what a great decision that's been. Sometimes, sometimes not selling a player is as good of a signing as, as, as actually buying a player, and we've seen that with Paulinha. Absolutely, um, yeah. Did you see the match yesterday, Zach? Yeah, I did, yeah. Did you say, oh, oh, he was absolutely brilliant. I think that's possibly one of his best games of the season. It, I mean, we know him as this kind of superb destroyer, uh, you know, so much energy in the middle of the field. But yesterday, one the thing which really struck me, he was just spraying those cross-field passes, beautiful passes, you know, 40, 50 yards, flank to flank, spot on almost all of them, you know really really impressed me that that side of his game I think has really come on and uh yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right brilliant uh he's, he's had an absolutely brilliant season and you're right as well that you know why go out and spend a lot of money on a player which is you know let's face it uh, it's always a little bit of a risk it's always a little bit of a punt spending a lot of money on a player uh, especially if it's a player coming from you know outside the context either of sporting, so from a smaller Portuguese club, or even more of a risk from abroad. You know you don't know how they're going to adapt. You know it doesn't matter how much talent they have if they if they're not comfortable. You know then you know it might not work out. But Pelinha, uh, you know he was is is a he's a sporting uh, he's from the sporting academy. You know he knows the club inside out. He never really expressed any desire to leave well of course he he only left on loan to Braga but even at the time I remember lots of people lots of sporting fans weren't very happy about that because they could see he had potential but uh, but that said I actually think it's probably been good for Polina because I think he's improved year on year at Braga and he's played a lot more there than perhaps he would have at sporting and this season he's just taking his game to another level yeah one of the players of the season about that. And yeah, yesterday I, I just thought he was absolutely amazing. I think possibly him and Nuno Santos were the best players on the pitch yesterday. Does he start for Portugal for you? Well, that's a good question. If you'd asked me that any time, probably in the last, uh, in this last year, this last season, with lots of sporting fans calling for him, 
I, you know, I'm a huge fan of William. I know he's had his struggles this season, but I think he's the sort of player that, uh, you know, perhaps doesn't need to be 100% fitness wise. I just think he makes Portugal click so much. But, uh, and so, you know, I was a little bit loath to see William uh, removed from the Portugal team to kind of make space for Polini. I'm also a big fan of, uh, of the Nilo. But, uh, but, you know, you have to say, I think playing like that, yeah. And also, you know, when he did play for Portugal in the recent international breaks, he certainly didn't look out of place at all. You know, in the recent international games, I know Portugal didn't play great opposition uh, apart from the uh, the Serbia game. But yeah, I think he's definitely in with a shot. And I think given what's happened to, to William, unfortunately, playing very little football at Betis and even Danilo, you know, is not uh, an automatic starter, is he, for PSG? Uh, you know, no shame there. They've got an amazing squad. But uh, yeah, perhaps, you know, if you go on form and if you go on, uh, you know, the amount of football played and the amount of quality shown this season, then yeah, you have to say, I think it's a, it's a very good shout to to be a starter for Portugal in the Euros. I think Danilo starts, but I would, I would personally, if I was Fernando Santos, I'd start Palinha just because you know, Danilo has not been great. I think even there's an argument made that his better performances at PSG have been at center back, which I think bodes well for, for Portugal because I think that, you know, if, if Pepe does get injured again, I think that Danilo could potentially slot in. Santos might want him over, you know, Jose Font or a uh, Domingo Stuart, potentially. We'll see. But I, I think that Paulinho, personally, I, I, I think he deserves to start. Just been so so massive for sporting. I want to touch up a little bit on a player you mentioned, uh, Nuno Santos. So a lot of criticism. He hasn't been uh, the most technically gifted uh, players, but he has been important. And I think one of the more uh, underrated stars in this sporting team. Talk to me about Nuno Santos. Uh, do you think that Sporting made the right decision to, to swap uh, Gerald's, Francisco Gerald's and uh, and Gelson Dalla as well as some cash for, for Nuno Santos? Yeah, the proof is in the pudding and it's absolutely <laughs> been, it's absolutely been proven to be an, a, an excellent deal, you know, because those two players have really struggled as, uh, well, everyone at Rio have, have they? they don't really know what's happened at that club. It's just gone uh, all pear-shaped. But, uh, but, you know, they're good players, Polina and uh, Dalla and Geraldes are good players. But yeah, Nuno Santos has been a star. It's been a star, you have to say. And I think it was no coincidence that that spell uh, where Sporting were just beginning to, you know, waver a little bit where they had three draws in four games and the, even the games before then, they'd, they'd, they'd won, but they'd won really, you know, they'd really struggled to create chances and really to, they look much less dynamic than they they had them before or after. That coincided with a time when Nuno Santos wasn't in the team. You know, Ruben Amarin, uh, for whatever reason, uh, he he put him on the bench for, he spent most of the, maybe about a month, or month and a half, two months even, uh, playing pretty little football, to be honest. Sometimes he didn't really uh, enter or sometimes he just came on as a, as a late sub. But, uh, you know, before that, first half of the season, you know, he was excellent, uh, you know, really was a you know very dynamic performer. And, uh, and since he's come back into the team, you know, he came back into the team three or four games ago. And uh, yeah, he's been superb. And yesterday, again, like I said, I think, Man of the match, I'd give it to either Polinia or Nuno Santos. He that left flank as well, especially the way he combines with, uh, you know, with Nuno Mendes. It's a real, it's a real shame it will be if Mendes leaves because that's a uh, you know beautiful combinations. Yesterday they were just 
uh, it was almost, you know, it seemed like they'd uh, had some kind of telepathy going, uh, you know, telepathic understanding between them because they were combining, you know, really well, both superb, you know, left foot, very dynamic players. And uh, yeah, Santos yesterday, he's just on his own. He set up about three or four perfect chances, you know, for Paulinho, <laughs> only managed to, uh, for Paulinho, who uh, only managed to stick one in the back of the net, but the all-important goal. Uh, so yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, of course, from Sporting's point of view, again, he's an ex Benfica product, of course, so that makes it a little bit sweeter. <laughs> Sporting are used to producing fantastic players who then go on to do great things for their rivals, you know, players like Juan Martinho, for example. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite often that uh, Sporting don't get the best out of their academy products and then to kind of rub salt in the wounds, uh, they go to, to Porto and Benfica and do really well there. Uh, Simao Sabrosa, of course, was a, a Benfica legend and he was from the Sporting Academy. Ruben Amorim. Yeah, yeah, another one, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's good to it's good for sporting to kind of uh, you know do uh, have the the boots on the other foot, and so they're really taking advantage of Santos. I remember when he was a a young player. I always remember him at the World Youth Cup, I think the World Under Twenty Youth Cup in New Zealand. Can't remember what year it was exactly, but I suppose that must have been about six years ago, maybe. And I remember him looking really good there and thinking, yeah, wow, this is a player to keep keep an eye on. But uh, didn't really make too much progress. I think he was badly hit by injuries as well. But uh, yeah, last last season, especially at Rio Ave, you know, he was good. He was really good. But he's another player, who I'd say, is taking his game to another level this season. And yeah, you, uh, you know, good good mention, uh, uh, Zach, uh, you know, flagging him up because he has been an important component in this uh in this sporting triumph without a doubt yeah absolutely there is at, at halftime there was a comparison uh between nuno santos and nuno santos <laughs> nuno santos <laughs> of course uh on sporting you know an ex-benfica player and also nuno santos currently on loan uh from benfica at Boavista. so i i like that a lot yeah he almost scored as well didn't he? that nuno santos the, right. the uh i think it's about the captain isn't he, he almost scored uh, just their one chance really all game and uh forced a really good save out of adan in the first half definitely um but yeah nuno santos i think obviously as you say you know the proof is in the pastel ginata <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nuno has been great. Uh, I, I would have liked to see Justin Dalla get more chances as well as Gerald's, uh, who, by the way, just published a book of poetry. Um, Gerald's. Uh, so, but, but overall, you know, Sporting did get the better end of that deal. And I, I loved how during the crazy celebrations of the past 24 hours, they got a picture actually of Nuno Santos holding up a banner saying, Gracias a Dios. In other words, thank God that I am not a Benfiquista. <laughs> so, you know, obviously I, his, his blood alcohol content was probably a bit elevated at this point. You know, even if it wasn't, you know, he's just having fun. So, you know, that's, yeah. just, that's just what it is. You know, kind of charge it to the game and, and move on, you know. Um, yeah, another, another thing about Santos, actually, I'd say, apart from his, you know, his... Uh, like you said, is perhaps technically. I don't actually think it's bad technically. He's yeah. very, very one-footed. He is is basically his right foot is for standing on. You know, he uses his left foot the whole time. But uh, but I think one of his 
chief attributes, I would say, is his just his tenacity and his he's right. a really, really feisty player. You know, he's really even his his whole attitude. I think I, I won't repeat it on here because uh, I know you understand that the other day when they were playing, I think it was the game against Braga when Sporting had a throw. You know, the Nuno Santos immediately went wants to take a quick throw, and the ball boy just delayed a little bit, just marginally, uh, the, you know, throwing him the ball. Right. And Nuno Santos just went absolutely ballistic at it, gave him a mouthful, you know, not very, not the most pleasant kind of way to tell him just right. to wake up and give him the ball. But it just shows you, he, he kind of goes into a different zone when he's on the pitch and, uh, you know, he's really kind of uh, wholehearted and, uh, you know, a wholehearted player, feisty player. And, uh, and yeah, that, that's also another league yeah. aspect of his game. And and just want to mention, Nuno Santos is actually one of three players in the sporting squad that had previously won a league title. I believe he had played a, a game or two for Benfica's ah, okay. Good final shout. season for the 2015-16 season. So yeah, he as well as Adan and Joao Pereira had won, had won league titles. Um, but yeah, good to see him getting praise. Uh, talk to me about Paulinho though, because a lot of criticism for him since his move, but just scored two massive goals against Huav uh, and Boavista to deliver Sporting's title. Yeah, I really like Paulinho. I really like him. Even when he was having his struggles at, at, at Sporting, and really he hasn't, I've got to be honest and say he hasn't really played too well uh, since he's been at Sporting, certainly not at the level that he, he has played at Braga the last few seasons, but I think he's a wonderful player, Paulinho. And uh, I, I'm Absolutely sure he's going to score a ton of goals for Sporting. And, uh, you know, he's, I think, perhaps uh, just the nerves got to him a little bit since his move to Sporting. And, of course, he got that injury just, I think, first or second game. And then he was out for, you know, a month or two. And so that obviously put a lot, a bit of pressure on him, more pressure. Of course, his Sporting's record signing, which is uh, 16 million euros, which is, you know, it's very unusual for Sporting to spend. Uh, that amount of money on one player so that, you know, whatever he says and whatever Ruben Navarine says, you know, trying to take the pressure off, that definitely does, uh, you know, put a bit of pressure on him without a doubt. Uh, And so, you know, we haven't seen the best of him this season, but even so, yeah, like you say, he's scored very important goals. Uh, I think he's only scored uh, three since he's been at Sporting, but they've all been very important goals. And he's also got quite a few assists uh, in that, you know, in Sporting, have really struggled. They haven't struggled to create chances, but they've struggled to finish them in the la- in the last few matches. But he's been at the heart of everything, and as well as being a, a good goal scorer, I'd certainly I wouldn't be surprised next season if he's if he hits twenty twenty five goals. Uh, he's I think he's a really good striker for for this system, and Ruben Amarine really insisted on having him because his all round game is just perfect. You know, is uh, for this system really good at combining with the other two attackers in the three-four-three, or even with the wing backs. You know, really good at just kind of uh, dynamizing that attack, and also at preoccupying the the opposition centre back sometimes on his own. So it's just a, you know very important cog in this machine, I think. And he has uh, earned quite a lot of criticism, even from Sporting fans, uh, because of course he came into the side and Thiago Tomaj, uh was the person who was a player who usually uh, went out of the side to accommodate him and is obviously as a homegrown player, very popular at Sporting. And it kind of coincided with Sporting's little wobble when uh, Paulinho 
came into the side. And so some people were even blaming him or saying that his kind of, you know, destroyed, you know, not purposely, but just kind of, you know, messed with the chemistry of the team. But, uh, you know, that was that was just very harsh. I think just the whole sporting side just had that little dip in form. I think it was nothing to do with Paulinho himself. And yeah, he's a, he's a great player. Actually, it's going to be very interesting now that the uh, Euro squads have been increased to 26. I think, of course, there's so much competition for places. Right. But uh, it'd be interesting to see if he might just sneak in there because he has played for Portugal. You know, he made his debut, I think it was earlier this year. And he scored in his debut in that, uh, it was the friendly against Andorra, if memory serves me right. I think he actually scored a couple of goals in that game. And, uh, you know, he looked the part. Uh, at that time, he was flying, you know, he's full of confidence. You know, he's not on top of his game at the moment, so that, that might persuade Fernando Santos, you know, to not to pick him. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was a, a bit of a surprise inclusion because he's a little bit different from the other Portugal Centre forwards, I suppose if it's down to Andre Silva or Paulinho, you have to say that Andre Silva deserves it again going on this season. But if he wants two kind of, you know, more genuine number nines rather than, you know, Portugal's uh, other uh, forward positions who, you know, a bit more kind of uh, you know, wide players, um, not, not the same kind of, you know, pure centre forward, you could say, like Paulinho, uh, he, he might just sneak in there. Yeah, just quick, uh, make sure to check out our article that we just posted on BTL uh, from Kane Smith on Andre Silva. Really digs into just how good he has been at Eintracht this season. I don't think that Paulinho will get into the squad, but he is a contender for it. Definitely don't count him out. I definitely think that he is going to be like a new signing for Sporting uh, next season, just in terms of how much he's adapted. Yeah, agree. If he's fully fit. So definitely going to be massive for them and really going to help them to attempt to defend their title. Now that we've discussed a lot of sporting, I want to get into our talent of the week section where we discuss a player who is uh, really impressing and in either in Portugal or outside of Portugal, but is, who's part of the Selkow setup. Um, Tom, who is your talent of the week? Uh, well, I'll go for a little bit of a left field one because he doesn't get mentioned so often. You've gone through so many, Zach. I don't think there's that many which are left. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, one I'd mention is at Santa Clara, Lincoln, the uh, Brazilian uh, playmaker. And I've really been very impressed with him. He's, uh, he's got a lot of football under his belt for a young player. I think he's still 22, 21 or 22. And uh, he played a full season last season, a full season this season. And he's just someone who really impresses me whenever I, I watch him. You know, really kind of classy player, amazing left foot. He takes all the set pieces and, uh, you know, got a wonderful delivery, very good crosser of the ball. And one thing which really impresses me is his willingness to ask for the ball, you know, even in the big matches against, uh, I remember seeing him here against Sporting when Santa Clara, to be perfectly honest, they were beaten by Sporting, but they were pretty unlucky, probably deserved at least a draw in that game. And it's kind of been the story of their season against the big sides. They played really well against Sporting, played really well against Benfica, played really well against Porto in, in the three away games. And they got beaten in all of them when they probably deserved at least a draw in, in all of them. But Lincoln, he really impresses me because he, you know, he calls the ball, he wants the ball even in tight spaces. He's, he's a clever footballer. He, he's a quick thinker. And uh, I think he, you know, he relies on his brain maybe more than his, you know, physical attributes. 
But uh, yeah, uh, definitely is, is one who's not really mentioned that much, especially, you know, Santa Clara, they've had a, a fantastic season and they've, uh, they've had a, you know, a few players who perhaps catch the eye a little bit more than him. But uh, but yeah, is, is a player who I think could be destined for a step up, uh, Lincoln. Really glad you mentioned him again. He's really impressed me with the Asorians under Daniel Ramos. Just a fantastic season for Santa Clara, who are still in the race for European football, uh, despite losing top scorer Diego Santana midway through the season uh, to a Chinese club. Uh, really a lot of impressive talents in this squad. You know, you've got center backs Mikel Villanueva uh, and Fabio Cardoso. Hidemasa Morita been very good since joining from Japan. Uh, and I think that Lincoln... And Carlos Jr. as well could be destined for big moves uh, this summer. Yeah, really glad you mentioned him. My talent of the week, though, I know I'm a bit hypocritical for this because I typically go for, uh, I, want, I typically focus on younger players, but I can't, I can't ignore this. This form from a player who is uh, about to be 35 in a few months, but been absolutely fantastic. And his name is Nani, an ex sportsman <laughs> Don't believe he was around for Sporting's last league title, but he's been around for quite a while. And he has been absolutely fantastic for Orlando uh, City in the past few games, scoring some absolute golazos against uh, New York City FC, uh, FC Cincinnati, and Sporting Kansas City in his past three games. Honestly, if you haven't watched them, go to YouTube, go to the MLS you know page or whatever, and watch them because every single goal is just a beauty and it's worth looking at. And it's just great to see him uh, still so magical after all these years. I wanted to just finish up on this episode by asking you, do you think that Nani's, do you think he could potentially make it uh, into the Portugal squad. I know it's been a while since he made it into Fernando Santos' squad, but considering the fact that, you know, Pedro Neto is injured, I think that opens the door for Hafa and Gonzalo Getch uh, to get into the squad. But I just wonder, you know, having a player with the experience of Nani who's done great for the Selecao and who's still showing that he's got it after all these years in Florida. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting one. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, you know, a, a legitimate question. Of course, we have to remember he was a he was a key player really for Fernando Santos and Portugal at Euro 2016, you know, it's him and Ronaldo at front and uh, you know, he scored three goals in the in the tournament and uh, he played every game and he played really well in every game. I think uh, he really had a bit of a swan song in terms of his international career because he was a player who actually used to draw quite a lot of criticism uh, as a Portugal player because he, you know, he can be quite frustrating to watch sometimes. He kind of slows up the game a little bit, but he was brilliant at Euro 2016. And I think one of the reasons for that, I always uh, say, is, is Nani, when he hasn't got time to think, is superb. When he's more instinctive, uh, I think is is really good, and he was playing up front for Portugal in that tournament, and so he had less time to think. You know, he wasn't on the wings; he didn't receive the ball in deep positions. He, you know, a lot of his goals were kind of uh, first time touches. So, uh, yeah, and uh, like you say, he's been absolutely brilliant. You know, and of course, as a 
as a sporting fan, I'm a, a huge fan of, of Nani. It was interesting. I saw a poll the other day. If you could choose three players, three sporting players who were never champions at sporting and uh, you could, you know, kind of transport them into this side to, to become champions, to experience the thrill of being a Portuguese championship winner, uh, you know, which three would you have? And I think he was probably one of the most voted, uh, Nani. You know, he had a whole wide range of players but uh, I think he was the one which appeared on so many uh, fans you know so many fans voted for him because very popular player of course uh, brilliant when he burst on the scene for sporting very good when he came back for that short spell quite recently a couple of seasons ago again but you know it's very good then and you know he's one of these players obviously you can see it by the way he's playing really looks after himself you know really uh, does all the right things in terms of his diet, in terms of his, uh, you know, kind of recuperation after games to extend his career and to perform the way he has been performing so far. They've been brilliant, haven't they, Zach? I have caught those goals that you mentioned before. So, yeah, who knows? I think possibly I'd say he's a bit like Paulinho. I think he's a little bit of an outside shot. Maybe if uh, touch wood, this doesn't happen, but maybe if there's, a, you know, one or two injuries in the in the forward positions. Yeah, he could be a contender. But yeah, let's wait let's wait and see. I think if he did come into the squad, I don't think he'd let anyone down. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom, for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure as usual to talk to you. And I really hope that we can do this again uh, in a month or two because you're just a source, a fountain of knowledge, and it's really just fantastic to have you on. Uh, where can I, people find you? Yeah, I'm um, at Portugal1, which is uh, on Twitter. That's the easiest way to find me, which is at uh, P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L-1, the number one. So if you just go to Twitter, uh, see me there, and then all, you know, anything I do, anything of my collaborators at Portugal, any, anything they write about uh, Portuguese football, that will be flagged up there. So if you're into Portuguese football, go there. Highly recommend it. Uh, thank you once again. Parabéns to all of the sporting fans out here. Uh, and I will see you all again next week.